Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. The whole point of this series is not to make us feel bad, but it's to encourage us. It's also to also put our hope in, the, in, in one particular thing, and that is that God's ways work. And so I hope that during this time, it is my hope, that we are filled with hope. That is what we're looking at. Because the truth is, this is a different time. We're in a different time. And I'll explain all that as we, we get into this. But the scripture tells us in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, it says, where there is no revelation... People cast off restraint. And I know, Andrew, you've got a few things that you want to say about that. Go ahead. In this scripture, in Proverbs 29, the word vision is actually translated as God's revelation or God's word, God's plan. Without God's plan, without his blueprint, which is the word of God. How many believe that this morning? Sorry. Oh, yeah. Amen. This word. This is our roadmap for this journey in this life. And for us to be able to have strong families, as David said, it is our heart to be able to talk about family over the next couple of weeks and to just look at God's heart for family. And so without vision, we can't, but what does it say in another, the other translation is the people perish, right? So we need a vision and that's God's blueprint for what family is. And that's what we're going to look at this week. And when we do it his way, as David said, we will inherit a blessing. And we're so excited to be a part of a church filled with our family, that's you guys, to be able to look at these things because we know that you have a heart for family. Amen? And your lives are a reflection of his love and his goodness. And so we're just excited to be able to be up here. I'm, I'm so honored to be able to share this time with David. And so this is, this is the blessing that God has for us as we heed these words of instruction that we're going to look at. Amen. And it also it says that, you know, when, you let wis- when wisdom comes to a person who's seeking wisdom, we become wiser still. Yet when we're struggling, when we're fighting in our soul, when we're wrestling with truth, wisdom also often causes us to repel. And so when you find a, a repelling taking place in your soul, you need to make note of that because that's a place exactly where God wants to come in and bring some truth, and we'll learn about that, why that is so important. We're talking about the family, but we're not just talking about the family as you might think in the sense of, of, you know, the the nuclear unit, the, the, you know, a mom, a dad, and children, because the Bible really makes it, expands upon it, and some of these principles are actually transferable to not only your, your, you know, a, a human family, but a spiritual family. And so we're going to talk about that too. We're going to talk about the church. We're going to talk about relationships on many different planes. And so Jesus, you know, he talked about that. He said, you know, you know so obviously he had, we know he had an earthly family, that he had other brothers and sisters, that he had a mom and dad, although his dad was really a stepdad, so to speak, because his real father was, was God. But he, but what, so when his family came to get him because he had been fully engulfed in ministry, they're in Mark chapter 3, 33 uh, through 35. They're just saying, please tell Jesus that his mother and brother are here 
because we know he's been overworking, that we just feel like he's getting on the edge, and they're, they're really concerned for Jesus and what's been going on. They haven't gotten the revelation yet. And so, and so they come to him in the middle of ministry and say, hey, look, your mother and brother are outside. They've come. They want to talk to you. And he turns and he says, who is, who are, which is interesting, plural, who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked out at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And it's interesting, isn't it? That, so that gives it, you're saying, well, how does that really give us hope? Because look, just because you didn't have a really good relationship with your mother or with your father, or maybe your familial situation right now is not as, 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 as life-giving as you would hope it to be, guess what? That is all supposed to be a starter kit in the first place for us to get reconnected to our heavenly father who can really do many, many, much more than any earthly relationship can do. And then in the body of Christ, God has poured out such an incredible amount of blessing in the relationships that we can have one with another. And so hope is, is, in, is, is in the fix. I mean, it's there. And so what we want to make sure you understand that, that as we talk about family, and we will get into earthly family and things, you know, Andrew and I spend a lot of time talking about this all the time. I mean, we, we discuss what our vision is, it's constantly being reformed and reshaped as, as our children are growing and things are going on. And, and Andrew and I go through different seasons of life. We're having to reevaluate, reassess, reinvent based upon the word of God where we are. Go ahead, honey. I love the concept of the church being a family, as David just said. And I think there's such a powerful correlation between the family that we establish in our homes and the family of God as David just said. And so in the church, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that bond is so powerful because our common ground is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And when you think about a family, there is a sense of commitment. There is a sense of belonging and accountability. And, and that is the power of family because, you know, they're, they're not going to let you go. They're not, they're, they're, we're going to be there. We're going to be like, hey, what's going on? And there's a sense of, I need to be real in my family. You, you can't have really a facade or an air for very long if you're really going to be a part of a family. And I love the part in verse 34 up there in Mark when it said that they were, um, those in the circle, they were seated in a circle. And that just reminded me of actual presence, being, being in the family, you know, being there, in your, your presence is there, your you're together. There's a togetherness, um, which also just speaks to a real practical commitment. And um, so that's a powerful, powerful truth. And the unity that God brings in that Amen. setting. Well, I want to continue on with our verses here to, to really establish the fact that family is important to God. Not only our human family, but our spiritual family. And this, you see this in Scripture. And I could really take several weeks to go through Scripture after Scripture after Scripture but I only want to kind of just brush over the top of this because there's so many other things we want to get to. But I want to just make this statement that to God, family is incredibly important. And the idea of what comes from family, both love and fruitfulness. So God tells Adam and Eve after he creates them, he says, be fruitful and multiply. He says, go and let your love and your connection bear fruit. And that's part of the God, part of the heart of God. And we, should, we, we need to really see that because it's in the foundation. 
Most of the things that Jesus says there, I'm sorry, that God speaks into Adam and Eve are very foundational, and they really are in the blueprint, the very DNA of, of our faith and who we are in our relationship to God. What disturbs me as a pastor is how quickly we are chucking these things as a culture, that the whole concept of family is being reduced, it's being minimized, and it's even being attacked. Because the truth is, the enemy knows that if he can destroy the concept of family, he can destroy us. He can destroy, he can destroy a civilization. He can destroy a community. And if he can destroy the church, he can destroy the people of God. So you need to see that. You need to understand, because it's worth fighting for. Okay? It's worth understanding and building. The concept of family, again, was strengthened and reinforced by God in the Ten Commandments. If you look at that, you'll see that at least two of those commandments were essentially there to protect the concept of family. Number, you know, the first one being honor your parents, that it might go well with you and enjoy a long life on the earth. So the idea of parents being there and in place and honored, and we're going to come back to this, is so critical to the favor of God. God could have just said, look, honor your father and mother, and that's it. I just, why? Because I told you to. And God would be okay doing that. But what he adds to it is something that we really need to take note of because it's huge. He says that it might go well with you and that you enjoy long life on the earth. He's saying there is probably one of the biggest blessings that comes when we as children honor our parents and even as adults continue to impo- and, and, and honor our parents. And what does that ultimately do? That recognizes family. That recognizes a priority of God. So we'll come back to that. But then he talks about adultery, specifically mentioned about that being a grievous thing that can destroy the family. I think we we know about that. We don't need to to, to focus on that, but that's one of the other commandments to protect the the integrity of family. But let's look at John chapter 13, uh, but I'm going to give you a quote and, and essentially putting this all together for us. And you can read there in your notes, but it says, so what does the Bible say about family? The physical family is the most important building block to human society, and as such, it should be nurtured and protected. And we can find this fully supported in Scripture. But more important than that is the new creation that God is making in Christ, which is comprised of a spiritual family, the church. Because, in fact, what we will find as we go through some of these principles, again, we're all going to, we're going to all kind of retreat. We're going to regress. We're going to go inside ourselves, and we're going to look at the family we grew up in. We're going to look at the family we're in right now. And I don't want you to become hopeless in that. I don't want you to feel overwhelmed by those, those feelings that come because you just say, well, man, I don't measure up because that's ultimately what's going to happen. But the truth is God, the fix is in. Where we lack, where, what the, 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 the sin, the enemy, the brokenness of humankind has produced in families and our whole idea of it can be restored through faith in God and in the body of Christ. You know, I'll, I'll just inject this. You know, I've got many fathers. I had one who wasn't the best. I'll just be honest with you. He was a great, loving man, but he was a mess. And I know that now. But he was my world up until a certain age. I mean, he could do no wrong until I started to see that he did do wrong. But I loved him until his last breath. But you know what? Along the way, God gave me other men who became fathers that kind of picked up from where my dad left off. And they fathered me in ways that my, my real dad could never have done. Spiritual fathers who poured into my life, 
who I just had a long conversation with my spiritual, I really, I call, he's a spiritual father, but he's kind of a spiritual granddaddy too. Because my other spiritual father, he's their father. So I don't know how that all works out. But anyway, we all work, it all works together. But they speak into my life. So what we're trying to point out here is that family in the kingdom of God is so. So this is a family drawn from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Isn't that cool? Because it goes beyond just maybe our racial makeup, maybe our backgrounds and, and uh, societal connections. The kingdom of God is so much bigger than that. And the defining characteristic of this spiritual family is love for one another. A new command I give you, love one another, Jesus said. And as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So we see that the concept of family, both naturally and spiritually, is so critical, and what, it's what we'll be covering over these next several weeks. Go ahead, Randy. I want to talk about the honoring your father and mother because, you know, that is a commandment with a promise, the first commandment with a promise. And you can continue to honor your mom and dad even when you leave home. Amen? Amen. That that is a lifelong um, command, and the blessing is built in. And so it's so powerful when we can continue to honor our parents even if things are hard or if the relationship is strained or maybe they don't know Christ or maybe you feel that they're not being honorable. There is a godly way to honor your mom and dad. And I, I see that as such a powerful way to, to emulate that for my children, for, for your children, to see you honoring your parents. Because as you honor your parents, so will they honor you. Because that says something so much about your fear of God, your understanding that not fear of God to be afraid of him, right, but to believe that God is watching and that God will honor you know, the obedient, but he'll bring retribution to those who are not honoring his command. And so it, it's to honor your parents is such a powerful thing. And, um, and also about the concept of spiritual motherhood and fatherhood, there is such a powerful calling that God has on all of you in the room. Maybe your children are grown, but you are going to continue to be a, a father and a mother to men and women, young men and women in your life. That never stops that concept of, of family and, and loving and guiding and just being there, encouraging, um, because this is a generation that needs fathers and mothers, amen? Because there's so many that are orphaned, if I can say, in the spirit, but if you're there and you're bringing truth and you're bringing life and you're just there for them, it, it's, it's so powerful. And, and I'm reminded in Ephesians where it says, you know, that um, Ephesians 1 or 2, it says that he adopted us as sons, and he accepted us in the beloved. Everyone is looking for, for love and for acceptance and for belonging. And so what we need to understand as, as believers is that that adoption into God's family is first and foremost, but also just the, cons- the heart of family in the Word of God is right there, that just the the acceptance. He knows who you are. He knows every hair on your head. He, he created you, and he loves you. And so that's, that's a beautiful concept of family. I want to tell you, Andrea, because you observed this in my life, that I grew up with a, in a broken home, and you didn't. And so I was able to look at your family, and, and, and to be honest with you, I didn't really understand how to look at my own family, not, by, not just by looking at yours, which was, of course, really helpful, but it wasn't until I really got adopted into the church and to the family there that I began to look back at my natural family 
with a different, with a different faith, with, a diff, with different eyes. And so I, I think that's so, that's, so that's so critical to us, all of us feeling like even though, again, as we go through this, you're going to see holes. You're going to see broken pieces. You're going to be going, yeah, man, I got the shaft. But you know what? The family of, and the body of Christ can come in and heal those things so then you can look back and see your family the way God does. And I tell you what, so much grace, so much love poured out onto my dear parents who just really screwed up. But I could pour out that love upon them to help them, to move them forward, to embrace the mistakes they made and all of that. But, you know, not do one thing that I'm getting ready to talk about. So, Andrew, I'm going to go through these next points here just real quickly. So I wanted to just point out, really, where are we now? Because, again, this is all introductory. But where are we now? Right now, marriage is being redefined. I think we all know this. Marriage is being redefined. And we find ourselves on very faulty uh, footing. You know, it's not, it, it's, it's shifting around us. We're trying to find, the world very quickly is realizing, is bailing out on the concept of marriage. The majority who support redefining it are not taking the biblical understanding into consideration at all. Matter of fact, they're ignoring it. They spit on it. They're just like, we don't care. They're, they're almost coming to the point where it's like, well, why do we even have marriage anyway? And so that's how far we've come. That's where we are right now. When we look at the age block of 18 to 35-year-olds right now, and this is the most telling thing about culture, is that that age block are redefining the idea of family at an, an alarming rate in two ways. One, they're not seeking marriage as a biblical solution for intimacy or procreation at all. They're looking for intimacy outside the concept of marriage. They're just thinking, why do I even need that word? Why do you even have to have that, that contract, so to speak? And then, uh, again, for procreation, having children, I mean, here's God saying, look, I brought you together in the concept of marriage, and out of it will come intimacy and fruitfulness of children. And, of course, the exponential power that we know that two can put to flight uh, 10,000, that when two people come together in unity, seeking the heart of God, amazing things can take place, but that's being torn down, the whole concept of that. So, it, you know, for, so if you're a baby boomer, you still have that idea of what marriage was supposed to be. Maybe it was drummed into us. Maybe it was exemplified to us. Maybe it's, I, I don't know, somehow it got in there. Maybe it's because you watched the Brady Bunch. I don't know. But the, 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 the whole idea is this, that that is all falling apart. It's crumbling around us at an alarming rate. And then the second thing that we see this redefining in this age group is that a large percentage still are still living at home, thus they're not leaving and cleaving to perpetuate the biblical concept of family and fruitfulness. A full one-third of that age group are still living at home. And so they haven't. Matter of fact, they, they, I've read articles, article after article after article, that they're saying that the new second puberty this is kind of a little freaky. But anyway, the second puberty is 30 years old, that most young people don't think that they really become adults until about 30. Wow. I was 18 years old, man, and I left home. And I didn't look back. And you know why? Because I didn't think I could. Matter of fact, my mom was like going, um, you got to go. You got to go on, make your mark. And I'm not saying that's good, bad, or, or ugly. I'm just saying it's what it was. Yeah, go ahead, honey. I think so many people don't realize that their that their destiny and their calling is 
is wrapped up in, in family, in, in the union that God wants to bring to them and, and the children or the family that God brings to you. They, all that this society sees is their own, their own destiny, you know, their own career path, their own thing. So and that's what, right, individualism, right, independence, entitlement, freedom, and all of that. I mean, it's, it's just that's what's pushed. And so I don't think, I just think we need to raise up a new generation and understand that, that our calling is it's never about ourselves. Amen? It's always about the legacy that we're leaving behind. It's about the people that we're pouring into. Jesus came to be a broken vessel, to pour out, and that's who we're called to be. And you can't do that by yourself. You, you, can't, you can't sacrifice for yourself. You, you are always having to give that to someone else. And so I just, I love to share with the young people in my life as well as my children that, you know, your, your destiny is not just about you. The calling of God on your life is not just about you. Your career, where you go to school, hello? I mean, this doesn't preach too well, but I mean, this is, this is the truth, that your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. And so you need to be thinking about, God, what do you have for me? What, you know, for the young ladies, who is God or Lord bring me the man that you have designed for me and then the children that come and that your whole thing is your whole destiny rests on the family that God is going to give you and the family that you already have. Amen. And so we see in this next generation that, that that's just not really there. And so we know about abortion. Obviously, we've, we're talking about that today. Abor- abortion has de- decreased some in certain groups, but increased in others. The sanctity of human life has been severely affected as a result of that. And, the, and we, don't, we just think it's just abortion. Well, it's not just 58 million babies that have been sacrificed, but it's all that has affected the idea of individualism, of growing uh, selfishness, the growing concept of that human life as a whole. So what we're going to find is that those who have bitten into that as they age they begin to begin to find out it's just like look as you become an older person we're not gonna you know we don't see the difference between that you know we sacrificed a human being when they were in the womb you're getting old and useless and so i mean go go jump up a cliff somewhere go go crawl in a a hole somewhere the whole idea of human life is affecting everything so we don't, see, we don't see abortion just as taking babies away, but it's actually affecting our culture and our whole idea of how we look at human beings. It's, 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 it's like a virus that is infecting every aspect of life. And so that human life has been, it's, it, and so it's hardening the hearts of people toward human suffering. Human trafficking is at an all-time high. There, we talk about slavery of the past. Folks, there are more people in slavery right now than there ever has been in history. And yet we turn a blind eye to it. And sometimes they're your next-door neighbor. And so it, 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 we're, we're looking at this kind of thing, but, but I feel like this is all happening because of the, 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 um, the denigration of the whole idea of human life as a whole. So, uh, and the value of life in general. Most Western civilizations are in death spirals today. They're not replacing themselves. America is right at 1.9, uh, you know, Children per family unit, which is just a little bit behind needing to replace itself. You know, sometimes we wonder why there's so much immigration that's taking place. And what you don't hear, what you don't read in the news is a lot of this immigration is taking place because these Western civilizations know they're in a death spiral, that they can't replace their population. And so 
it's kind of the elephant in the room. It's the thing that, that Spain isn't talking about. It's Italy's not talking about when they've got 1.1, 1.2. Germany, China, most of the largest countries of the world are actually in death spirals. And so they're having to replace. They, they, they know that they're at a, a point right now, if they don't replace their population, that there will not be enough people to care for the huge amount of baby boomers who will come into their retirement. So these are things that you don't read in the news, but it is the truth. It is what's taking place. And why is that? Because of 58 million human beings that are not here. They're not paying taxes. They don't have jobs. They have not reproduced themselves. And so now we're getting awkward ways of trying to make that happen, which means we also have to kick to the curb many of the things that God has said. Computers, where are we now? Computers and social networks are supplanting real family and encouraging superficial relationships. It's absolutely replacing. It is out of control. And it is robbing us of the human person-to-person connection we really need to have. So that I could, when I look into the eyes of a brother and I can sit down and we talk and we, and, and we connect heart-to-heart and, and, and I can spiritually lead a man, then, I mean, I'm sure, I mean, I know for me, I love phone calls and I love texts, but when I can sit down and have a lunch with somebody that can speak into my life, that is valuable. And, and I'm not just going to, and I Tate's off at college, and I love to text him, but I'd rather we connect, you know, so anyway, go ahead. I think um, this is a generation that's finding their identity in social media and the kind of connections that are made, and it's filling... Well, I was going to say it's filling a void. It's not. People think that it's filling a void for a little while, keeping them connected, having friendships, but it, it's, it's absolutely robbing them of the ability to have true life relationships. And relationships are all about a give and take. There are hurts that come. There's forgiveness. You've got to work through things. But you don't do that on social network. You're, you're basically just... <laughs> You know what I mean? Just throwing things back and forth. So I just encourage, you know, parents to realize that the way that you treat that whole thing, social media, is the way your kids are going to follow. So just keep, keep an eye on that and, and make sure that you're really, you know, promoting face-to-face relations, relationship, and not, and not that whole social media thing, which can really set our young people up for, for a big um, fall. Computer games are causing a loss of reality issues as well as a monstrous increase in pornography use, including se- sexual deviancy of all kinds. The inflated need for news, which ends up distorting reality through lies and half-truths. For the lack of better words, mind control using advertising and opinion shaping. The computer is taking over the world, all right? And this is not a, I mean, 1984 is a reality, if you know of the book, if you know of the story. It is happening. It's just happening with a lot more glitter and a lot more, and, and, and if, you, if you read and know what the, the vision that Mark Zuckerberg has for vision and Bezos and, and the others, what their vision is for computer activity, it would scare the mess out of you. But the whole idea is that they feel like we can enhance our life by escaping reality and creating something that is false that will 
and, and essentially create good feelings in us. And when you get to people where everyone is satiated, they're much more what? Easily controlled. So Jesus, Christianity, the Bible, and all the truths that we're going to talk about over the next several weeks have nothing to do with that vision at all. Okay? It is actually seen as an enemy of what, of what truth is. So in many ways, I guess I could have I've even titled this, this message kind of like coming out of the fog because that's what we're going to have to do. It's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take intercession. It's going to take discipline. It's going to have to be, you're going to have to turn off some, you know, some things in order to escape it. So that's where we are. Opioid, opioid uh, use and overdose uh, resulting in death is out of control as well as antidepressants. The pharmaceutical world right now is, is, is it's, it, it's hand in glove. One is producing a need for the other and, and vice versa. So, folks, this is the world that we find ourselves in right now. And it may seem, I mean, you know, I'm gloom and doom. Are there any, any good things out there? Of course there is. There are many good things. Clearly, we know that we are in decline as a society. And clearly, what we are doing is not resulting in happiness and real fruitfulness. And that's the scary thing about it, is that it is sold to us that we will be happier if we abandon the Christian Judeo uh, moral truths that we've been given. And so I want to make a pa- give a pastoral response here, because we're down to about 10 minutes here. And, and Andrea, but I want you to jump in, because we're going, this, again, this is just introduction. We're going to come back, and we're going to talk about several different things, and, you know, not just about children, not just about marriage, but really the whole idea. What does the Bible say about all of this, and how can we put it into practice in our lives? But I want to give a pastoral response here to finish. And the world's answer, again, is to redefine. It always has been. Redefine so that we don't feel so badly for ourselves. Lower the bar and thus t- take everyone's guilt away. Did you want to say something? Right. No, okay. <laughs> I see that mic move, so that's, that's my cue when the mic moves. So it's her. All right, so, but, I mean, that's what it is. It's like, okay, we have created this problem. What do we do? Well, we certainly don't go back to the creator. We certainly don't go back to the one that told us how to avoid all of this. No, no, no. We create more pharmaceuticals. We create more, more uh, computer programs. We create more social medias. We create all the different things that will... I mean, it's just like... I hate to put it like this, but it's like with HIV. You know, There's a, there's a, a simple fix for that. A simple fix. Monogamy. But yet... We're creating and using all of our energy to try to stay one step ahead of God's, you know, not punishment, but, but the, the curse that remains upon things that happen when we don't follow the ways of God. And mankind will always try to stay one step ahead of God. And God is saying, I love you, but my ways work the best. And that's, I have that in the notes. The Bible makes it very clear. So they lower the bar, thus taking everyone's guilt away is what's going on in society. But the Bible makes it clear that his ways are higher and thus are better than our ways. The world will continue to disintegrate until Jesus comes again, but not for the believer. We have the truth, and guess what? It will set us free. It will break the cycle. And, you know, the, one of the things that I've learned after 30, 35 years is not everyone that jumps up and down. Even Christians don't jump up and down about hearing the things 
that we're going to share with you. Like, to be honest with you, as I, I prayed over this and, and we kind of planned for this, I just thought, wow, this is not necessarily a big church growth you know, uh, series. But to be truth, truthful, at, at my age, I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to cut candy coat this anymore. I don't want to be, continue to be a part of the problem. I need to preach the word of God, teach the truth. Because some of you have already got it, you're settled in it, but this next generation needs to hear it. And not just from us, but from you. You need to be the message wherever God sends you. So go ahead, honey. And I think one of the most powerful ways to be able to share the truth is to live it, is just to live it. Because sometimes these things don't translate. Um, God will move on you when it's time to, you know, stand up for it, whether it's, you know, a post on Facebook or you're talking with a friend. But really, most of the time, it's just a quiet, just believing these things that God has spoken, what he's shown us, and just living it out. Amen? Day by day, as for me and my house, right? Joshua said in Joshua 24, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It wasn't just Joshua. He didn't just say, okay, I'm going to serve the Lord. No, it, it was, he took he took that ownership of his family as the spiritual head, and he said, as for me and my house. And you know, with the children of Israel, they had, they had aunts and uncles and, you know, sisters and brothers. They had a big family, yeah, extended family. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so my heart, our heart, is to see us to be able to live this out with like-minded people. And that's what's so beautiful about the body of Christ is because sometimes you do feel alone. You know, you may feel a little... Like, you're weird next to everybody else out there, but that's okay because the Lord called us to be in the world but not of it. Sometimes you're going to stand out. But to know that, you know, in the body of Christ and with believing friends who have the same vision and the same values, you can kind of, there's comfort in that. There's power in that. There's, um, there's safety in that. So um, that's important. One of the things, Andrew, you and I experienced you know, we were a part of a very large congregation there in Fayetteville. And there was a, a real sense of community because you really felt like you were a city within a city. Mm-hmm. When we came to Roanoke Rapids, it was kind of like we really felt like, and as we shared some of these things, very quickly we found that people are like, look, like James Dobson, you know, focus on the family. We heard it, the spirit we got was focus on your own darn family. You know, it's like, we don't want to hear this. We're not interested. We got our way. We got our focus. And so, you know, to be honest with you, I don't preach a lot about child rearing. I don't do what is the most passionate things of my life, to be honest with you. And it's only because I feel like people are like, I don't want to hear it. And that, I mean, you know what? That's okay. I mean, that's, I mean, it's not okay, but for the most part, it's just like, okay, well, then let me focus on the things I think they will listen to. And so, what we have done, and on the long walks that Andrea and I, you and I go on, what we do is we pray over you. We pray over, this, we pray by, over the houses that we walk past. And we say, Lord, let them get a revelation. Let them get a vision. Let them get a vision for something much bigger than the small town life that where we just all kind of fall into the same groove and just go through the motions and do the same things day after day, generation after generation, when God has called us to something higher. And yes, I, I, I mean, I've told you before that there are times when we feel out of place and odd, 
But it's like, you know what? We've chosen something, and, and in a lot of days, we just look at each other, and we just huddle together and say, you know, we're in this alone, honey. We're just walking this out because, you know, not everybody's really interested in knowing how to raise their children in the fear of the Lord. Not everybody's interested in how to make your, your marriage something that can be a kingdom thing. That not everybody's interested in knowing how to make your family the spear point of the kingdom of God. But you know what? We're going to live it. That's exactly what Andrea said. We're not going to give up. We're just going to live it. And we hope that the message of our life speaks louder than words. And so it's out of love in many ways that we, we don't, but, you know, you know, talk about it all the time because we don't want to rub anybody's noses in it. We, we don't want to stand in judgment. If you go to the notes here. And, and we are a product of people who have poured into us. That's, that's biblical. That is so beautiful. That's why we all are answering this call. Amen? In this day, for such a time as this, to be poured into because the wise become wiser still as they go to the Word, as they're mentored, as they allow themselves to come under spiritual um, covering, you become wiser. You glean, and then you go. You take that which you, you know, what's, what, what's been poured into you. And man, that's our heart. Yes, you know, if all you get out of this series is one sturdy pole of truth, well, that's enough to build something on. That's enough to build and move on. And so that's our heart, you know, is not, as, as I go back to my notes here, it's, it's, we don't stand in judgment as we share these things. You know, in a conversation with someone recently, it's, it, you know, the idea that, that we're all about something, we try to press it in and say you're not accepted by God without, unless you're doing all that. That's not our heart at all. Not at all. Again, it's, as you've heard me share before, it's like we've got a bag of things that have really, really, really helped us, and all we want to do is open up the bag and just say, is there anything in there you think you need? Because... This stuff is really helping us. Going on with the notes. Since I have been a pastor, I've had many people say that if they only knew the truths that Andrew and I share, things could have been much different. So what do we do? Do we just say, oh, well, better luck next time? Or do we keep moving forward, sharing, teaching, preaching the truth? In love, of course, so that others can avoid the struggles and begin a new revolution. I mean, we've got to just keep going on because if we can just save one couple, if we can save one young person from the pain that this generation can produce, then it will have been worth it. But again, this is not about rubbing our noses in things that we failed to do. It's not. You've got to, you've got to know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay? And there are many days I look at my life and, and, and at my past and just say, good night, if I could have had something different. Do I get angry with God sometimes? frustrated about the family that I received and grew up, you bet. And comparison is, that's not of God. No. Comparison and condemnation is not of God. The Holy Spirit will come with conviction, and he will come with life. And he will be that, the wind beneath your wings, and that hand behind you as you're running that 23rd mile, Angie. And one other thing, we spur one another on, church. We spur one another on to love and good deeds. You don't know how many times we have gleaned from your lives. By the way, when David said people didn't want to hear our message, that was none of you. That was none of you in here. You can laugh at that. Yeah. Okay. That was none of you because you're still here. Hallelujah. <laughs> so um, what was I just saying? Oh, gosh, it was really good. Oh, that we spur one another on and we glean from one another. That's what that verse means. And it's like Paul. We're up here going, not that we have arrived. No, sir. No, ma'am. We are still on this journey, Lee. We are pressing on to 
toward, you know, Christ Jesus, amen, who is our prize. Amen. The truth is, Andrea, you and I have put all of our faith and our hope in these ways. <laughs> and there are times when we don't know whether they're going to work or not. It was like, I mean, throwing it out with discipline when my little two-year-olds are looking at me like, I dare you to try to break my will. You just think, I got to keep doing what's right. I don't give up on what I know is biblical or right because that's what can happen is we try it once or twice and think, oh, well, that didn't work. And then we bail out on the ways of God and then we create our own little thing and then we actually react. If you find yourself reacting to the ways of God, then that's the very thing that God wants to press in, okay? I mean, there are lots of things in our society today that are contrary to the, the, the will of God. And I guarantee you that you have a few in there in your thinking and truth system. And God wants to target it, get it out of you, because it's not bringing you life. So let me just finish here. So what do we do? Do we just say, oh, well, again, better luck next time? No, we keep moving forward. We keep bringing forth the truth. And, and, and it's going to set us free at very least, at least in our mind. There may be things that we can't fix and undo, but we can go forward and continue to be a, a messenger of truth. The bottom line, God's ways work. Does forgiveness work? Do you believe that forgiveness works? Where did you find that concept? That's right. Prayer works. Do you believe that prayer works? Where did you find that? In the Bible. Does love work? What does 1 Corinthians chapter 13 say? Love never what? Never fails. Where do we find that? The Bible. Love never fails. These are all truths that we have put our faith in. Does hope work? Hope works, doesn't it? Where do we find that? In the Bible. Does faith work? Absolutely. Well, I hope you believe that because that's how you got saved. In all of these things, we have put our faith in because we believe they work. Why does truth stop on those things? When God says there's so many things that if we'll just try it and we'll see that we will like it. There's like the green eggs and ham of truths in Scripture that if we'll just try it, we will see that we'll like it, that it is good for us. And I'll finish with this statement that God gave to me re recently. And that's, I want to preface this whole series with this. What wisdom did not prevent, faith can always heal. But just because we made some mistakes does not mean that we can't continue to grow in wisdom. Wisdom is often retrospective. We look back and we say, man, I should have done. But faith is where it picks up from there. And we can just say, God, would you heal what I failed to em employ? Would you heal inside me the, the sins of omission from someone's life or the sins of commission, the things that I was privy to, things that I did? Can he do that? Absolutely. So there is hope for every single one of us in this room, wherever you are. The point is we have to be broken. We have to be uh, our contrite. We have to be humbled. And we need to let God be true and every man a liar. That's what the Bible tells us. And that is truly stepping into a world of faith that many of us only have discovered in little bits and pieces. Swimming really doesn't work if you just keep your toe in the water. You've got to jump all the way in.
you're really going to experience that. Andrea, any last thoughts? I just think that was so powerful because the scripture that comes to my heart is that when you're faithful in the small things, then he will give you much. And so sometimes we look at family as just like, well, I just, you know, I just live with them every day. You just, you, we take them for granted. But it's like when you're faithful with the people in your life, because the best thing that you can give your family is yourself, is you, your time, your passion, your energy, your prayers, your pouring in. That is the most powerful thing. And so when you're faithful with who God has given you, then what can God do in your life? Because you have a message that's right there in your home. Amen. Man, good stuff, Andrea. Well, we're going, again, this is just introductory. Next week, we'll, we're going to get into some very specifics. We're going to dig into some Bible, and I encourage you to, to, to come, to be a part of this. Again, I want to say this, that even if you've, your family, your children are long, have gone to move on, or, you know, wherever you are, maybe you're at a different style, point of life when you feel like this may not uh, uh, apply. Maybe you don't have any children. Maybe you don't plan to have any children. Maybe you're not married yet. Maybe you have been divorced or going through difficult times right now. This is meant to give us tools. It's meant to, you know, some of the things that God gives to us are not always useful for right now. But they're things that he often we put in our tool bag that we can draw upon to share with someone else or even to apply in our life when that time comes. And so we want to be a part of that. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up this morning. Andrea, thank you for joining me.